not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my God, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. And you'll never have to pour or measure detergent again. Can we, can we all get along? Karen, horror death. Film at 11. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week. Hello, Brain Trust. It has been a while since we have talked and gathered together, but not together, but together in at least some form. One of the senses of ours, mine and yours, are together right now, and that's all we can do sometimes, especially in the last year and a half. It's mostly all we could do in total. Occasionally you see a video face, but you're not touching people, you're not hugging, you're not breathing upon people. In fact, I don't know that we ever need to breathe on people again. I feel like we could probably just do without the on breathing. But the point is, we're back. Not just the podcast. Not just all of you and me. But life. Life is back. Can you believe it? Did you think it would come back? Did you ever think life would return to its natural form where you could walk around and move and not be afraid to die if you touched a doorknob? which obviously is how every day of Howie Mandel's life has been, but that's his own demons he has to work on. Or not, just keep wearing gloves and blow them up on your head like a condom. Or, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with his old act, but he did blow up some kind of like a condom on his head as a glove. I don't remember exactly how it went down, but it seemed like a very physical kind of messy act for a guy who's very germaphobic. And I digress, as I am wont to do on this podcast sometimes. And does want to do mean that I want to do that? Because I don't want to do it. But does want to do mean it just it, it just kind of happens accidentally? If that's what it means, then that's what I meant. And if not, then I apologize for an erroneous use of use of phrase, a turn of words that could have been chosen more properly and purposefully. But we got to move forward. We don't have time to regret little things like that when we've got a year and a half of life to make up to catch up on. We have an amazing episode today in just a few minutes. One of my dear friends, one of my closer friends in comedy, she was on the podcast for two-thirds of an episode about ten years ago, and I haven't had her back since. She hasn't been back since. In the interim, she's blown up and become one of the biggest stars in all of comedy, Eliza Schlesinger. She's amazing. I loved our talk. I introduced her more properly once the recording with her starts, so I'll leave that for that, but... It gave me a lot to think about that conversation. It wasn't the funniest. I don't think comedy was our aim. It was just a deep dive into life and all that's happened and her rise to fame and work ethic and how do you pursue your goals and how do you manage your day and people that betray you in life and how do you recognize a liar and how your priorities change as you move on in life. And it was, I loved the conversation. I've been thinking about it for days afterwards. Since it is now days afterwards, I'm not, you know, seeing into the future. 
I'm not clairvoyant or Claire Forlani or any of the great Claire's. And look, I would love to summarize the news as I'm want to do. Damn it, I did it again. Damn it, why do I keep saying want to do and I don't know what it means? I, now I'm craving a wanton as well. I'm wanton wanton to have one of those. But I'm not going to summarize the news today. We touch on some world issues a little bit towards the end of my conversation with Eliza, but life is back and I'm not going to bog us down with details right now. Because we got a great episode for you already in the can, ready for your ears to be exposed to them, the, the it and the words that will be coming shortly. And also because it's one in the morning and I'm waking up in literally four hours to leave for the airport for a much-needed and long-awaited vacation to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, or as they say in Spanish, Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Cabo San Lucas, Mexico? I mean, it's a little bit more accurate, but still very much the same because, you know, we're saying the name of a Spanish place. So, you know, places in Mexico have Mexican names and they're spoken in Spanish. I think you've realized that by now. I barely did in time to ask you if you realized it, but now I think that you do. We're going to start this conversation and we're going to get right into it. And I'll say a quick goodbye at the end. But of course, we're going to do a quick Twitter answers just before that in just a moment's time. A quick announcement or two. I have announced finally some tour dates coming at you in person. So if you would like to check those out, uh, go to benglebe.com. I'm coming to Aspen in August. I'm coming to DC in September and October, Washington, DC. I'm coming to Phoenix and uh, Vancouver or somewhere in British Columbia in November and December. More dates will be announced. But of course, in the meantime, you can see me from anywhere on planet Earth. Oh, is that all? Yeah. Is that not enough for you? Would you like me to broadcast to other planets? I haven't done that yet. Nowhere doesn't reach that far yet, but Nowhere Comedy Club going strong. And I'm doing Glebe Off the Top still nearly every week. NowhereComedyClub.com for tickets. The most unique, strange, out-of-the-box show you will see. Special guests join me sometimes. We elect a mayor. You're part of this community where we see and hear each other, and it continues all week on the Facebook group. So please get a ticket if you haven't. This podcast is free. The show is not, but it's very reasonably priced. Glebe Off the Top crowd work and improvised madness. Recent guests include Jamie Kennedy twice, Jade Cotapreta, Justine Marino three times, Leah Lamar two or three times, Ben Morrison a couple times, Mary Lynn Rice Cub. A lot of great, amazing people, and those solo episodes are a real blast as well. And uh, it continues all week on the Facebook group. Join that at the name of the group is Ben Glebe's Mad Ones Town Council of Elders and Youngers, because that includes all of you that are the mad ones that attend the show. And the next one will be on the 17th of July, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern. And on the 24th of July will be my next of my monthly shows. I don't know how many of these we'll keep doing. I pray we keep doing it into the future, but I know Greg at some point soon is going to get back on the road and he may not want to do these anymore. The guy is an improv legend. I'm honored to be able to do the shows with him. You may might be able to, you might be seeing the last one or the last one of the last couple at least. Who knows? So get a ticket for the 24th. Also at NowhereComedyClub.com, 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern on July 24. Social Distancing Social Club, still doing that four times a week for all of you to enjoy for free. 
links and all of that at sdscshow.com, but it's on all of my socials and Hofstetter socials. And you can join us on camera for that as well for just a $10 ticket or by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash sdsc. And of course, you can join my personal Patreon where you can get shout outs on this podcast. You get video hangs just for the patrons and me, private one-on-one video hangs, letters from me, handwritten and stamped with a cool neurotic gangster stamp and some cool branding coming your way that I've been working on and um, all kinds of fun stuff, drawings and hats, et cetera, et cetera. Patreon.com slash Ben Glebe to join that. And you can get your brain trust Glebe squad official metal black card in the mail with your name engraved on it. So check that out. And that's plenty for the plugs. Oh, our 300th episode of SDSC is coming up soon. So stay tuned for that 300 episodes in this last year. We're really getting at it. Year plus, I suppose. So now it is time before Eliza for a very quick installment. Since I always like to check in with the Brain Trust, the Glebe Squad, the Glebe of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Friends with Benefits, the Mad Ones in all of our souls, it's time for Twitter Answers. I asked the Brain Trust, since life is back, what is your favorite and least favorite part of life being back? And I'm so excited life is back. I've been enjoying it myself. It was quite an interesting, isolated year. I'm a very social person, so that was a bit of a challenge, very different experience in life. But second, we all got vaccinated. I threw a birthday party like I like to do every year, like I want to do for my birthday uh, a couple of weeks ago. Had 150 people roll through the house. Nikki Glazer helped me throw the party. It was an absolute blast. We had pool. We had dance club. We had karaoke studio on the Nowhere stage. We had photo booth. We had hot dog stand because I won the hot dog championship recently in SDSC. Look into it. I'm very proud. Joey Chestnut was there and witnessed it. And we even had a secret kind of – you got a treasure map at the door, and, you, and there was a kind of an escape room-style treasure hunt to figure and find a special – secret prize that was weed it was was edibles if you found it and figured it out it was really cool you had to like figure out where a url was hidden and go to the website and decode a video and all these cool things anyway so my favorite part of life being back is just life being back fully hanging out with friends hugging people i said vaccinated only or at least a negative test within two days for that party and uh i'm trying to roll with just people that are taking this thing serious i prefer just vaccinated of course be nice if you did your part My least favorite part of life being back is traffic starting to get thick again. I don't dig that very much. And uh, sometimes people are handshaking and hugging me at people I don't want to handshake and hug. So that's not ideal. And I feel like I'm losing my excuse to avoid those situations. But I asked all of you and my mom, Ziva, replied, favorite guest on this podcast. The best part is definitely hugging my family really, really tight. And she does. I can't breathe when she does it. It's a tight Rubber band style hug. She says, worst part is definitely other people. I mean, a whole year and a half had passed and we are back to being divided and hateful and hating. How do we learn nothing? It's a very solid question that we will dive into in a future episode because we're keeping things light right now. But good question, mom. At Jessica Hess 10 said, people, I miss them when they're taken away during quarantine. Now that I'm around them again, I realize how many people annoy me. (laughs) Smooth transition from best to worst. 
at Sarah Green said, best part is making plans again. Worst part is having to think of excuses to cancel said plans. <laughs> I remember that part of life. I've done it myself, even though I rarely try to cancel a plan if I've made it and it's pretty set. But it's happened. And lastly, at Two Thrive says, with the lower half of my face visible, my judgmental sneers are now visible. That is a tough part. It's fun to wear masks, and at least we're, we're allowed to wear masks for some time going forward into the future. I wear them mostly to banks when I rob them. I'm kidding. I don't rob banks. I rob trains mostly on horseback, and then I jump back on with my treasure chest full of jewels, and it's heavier for the horse, and the horse slows down immediately and kicks me off. But hey, I've gotten scot-free with a big briefcase of jewels. I don't have mentioned this. I've lost my mind during the last year and a half of quarantine. So, enough of me and my mind losing. Let's get this conversation with Eliza Schlesinger on the road. Last week on Earth. Check. Okay. Check, check two. Yeah. Let's just check the whole time. Checkmate. <laughs> oh, that's nothing I can do now. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. Well done, Queen's Gambit. That's what Thank you. That's what the best you could do is checkmate and then you then then you win. Then you win all the prizes. All of the you prizes. All the drug money. You're yeah. damn you're damn right. Yeah, she made everybody wanna be a chess player and have a pill problem. You know, I I actually I watch it, I remember thinking like sometimes you watch sports movies, you're like, Oh, I wish I played basketball. I watched this, I was like, still don't care about chess. <laughs> yeah. Love to play her, chess. Still don't care. For a minute, yeah. it made me want to play chess. And then I'm like, eh, never mind. Yeah, that seems hard. Before you say more words, let's let people know who you are. Okay. Not only are you a dear friend of mine for about 50 years, but <laughs> you one last comic standing. I believe the only woman to ever win the show. You had your own late night talk show on Freeform. You've guest hosted Jimmy Kimmel Live, which is very cool to me. You are a movie star now. Oh, just that. You were in Spencer Confidential with Mark Wahlberg. You had your, you have, you have your own very acclaimed sketch show on Netflix, the Eliza Schlesinger sketch show. That probably gave away your name, but people already know anyway because it's in titles of things. Five Netflix specials, I think. Mm -hmm. Huge hit Netflix specials, a book, a hit podcast. The writer, exec producer, and star of the brand new Netflix hit movie, Good on Paper. It was just like number sixth in the country. Uh, probably still is. An upcoming dramatic role in Pieces of a Woman with Shia LaBeouf. LaBeouf, I don't care how you say it. It already came out. It, it already came, came out, out, out a very long time ago. Oh, it's it okay. did? It's okay. I must have been We're also not allowed article. to say his name we, because he's, he's not good for press. So we say Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burstyn. Oh, good. How, how was the movie received? <laughs> uh, people loved it. You know, it's not a, a fun summer hang. It's a very serious movie. Yeah. Um, but very beautifully made. And I think people really, I mean, Netflix bought it for a lot of money, none of which I got, but I was very happy for everyone else. Yeah, it's fun, it's fun to be in it. And most yeah. notably, she is the star of a hit Instagram live series, Don't Panic Pantry. <laughs> one of the greatest comics working today, one of the most creative Thank and hardworking you. humans, my dear friend, Eliza Schlesinger. Hello. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Getting it in on a Friday. Yes. I was so happy you said 1.30 and you didn't make me wake up early. No, I wouldn't do that to you. I also know that you stay up very late. Mm -hmm. Like you really keep comic hours, even if you're not on the road. And so I know this about, I'll get texts from you at like four in the morning <laughs> as if it's normal. And I'm like, he's a bat. I've just he started texting everybody at any hour. And I feel like texts don't wake people. And that's just part of being friends. And you'll have to get late texts. 
If you are woken up by a text or a call, you either have children or you're a psychopath that you had your phone on or like yes. someone's in the hospital. Don't have your ringer on. Yeah. Go to sleep like a person. Yeah. Agreed. Are you sleeping like a person these days at all? I sleep very well. I get like yeah. nine to 10 hours of sleep. How yeah. many hours? I need like nine to 10 hours of sleep. You just froze twice when trying to say the amount of time. It almost like it's almost like you're lying the amount of time you're sleeping. Say it one more time. No, I think big sleep doesn't want you to know how much sleep I get. It's nine to 10 hours. I need it. And I know the cool thing is to be like, it's like, I don't sleep or I'm really productive. Like Martha Stewart only gets like four hours of sleep and some people are wired that way. I need a full hibernation sleep time. I need nine hours. Wow. I wish I could do that. I've actually been a lot better. I've been prioritizing. I get at least seven or eight most nights, but I'm on five right now. That's five works too. I mean, I take what I can get, but if I had my druthers, I'll go full, a full nine. Just really get into it. What do you think the term "if I had my druthers" comes from? Because it always sounds dumb. It sounds dumb. I think it sounds just like not a word. What's that? I think it comes. I think it's a derivation of brothers, and I think it's like, dear Lord, would that I had the strength of ten brothers, and then maybe because Moses's brother, Moses had a speech impediment, so maybe that became druthers. I always forget Moses had a speech impediment, and I did too, and that makes us very similar. We're both leaders of men. Very similar. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to bring it up in case, but I know you know you have one now. I didn't want to bring it up in case. You never know. Well, that's not the one like that I was referring know. to. I had a severe one as a kid, but I still have a little bit of a right. lisp, and you used to put that into your impression of me. You'd add a little bit of it in there. Oh, my God. I haven't done a Ben Glebe impression in so long. Please try. It's, okay, I'll, I'll do your old bit. It's basically... uh. Well, I like strawberry. It's, you, if they can't see the, they can see me. So it's, it's yeah. the hands. It's up here. Wait, where's the camera? There you go. Where's my camera? Here it is. How am I not going to I like strawberries and I like vodka, but I enjoy them separately. I put them in one cup. That makes me a bitch. I don't think so. <laughs> that was your bit. It was. It was. It's very good. You do one. Of, I always tell people you do one of the better impressions of me. It's very solid. It's uh, one of the better ones. It's not bad. It, the lisp is hard to do. It is hard to uh, do a lisp. So I have a lisp, and I do an impression of a guy with a lisp, and I can't even ever do it well. Strangely, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different kinds of speech impediments. I guess impediment feels like disability. Like we don't use that word anymore. I guess not. But I'm okay. I with don't know. It. I'm not. Yeah, you're okay. You've made. I think you're doing okay. Thank you very much. So yeah. All right. So you're. Sleeping a lot, even though you're very busy. Do you ever feel like you are too busy? Do you like being as busy as you are? Because it seems to me that you're an insane amount of busy, even though you very kindly always text me back pretty instantly. You're always doing a million things. Here's the rule. Like, you are seldom so busy that you can't text someone back. And people that do that, it's a power move. It just is. And I feel really guilty about that. Like, this is such a mercurial industry so like yeah you want to be cool and like not text someone back okay a year from now like they might be in a position that you might want something and of course treating people like a human is important but like this thing where like all of a sudden you're too cool i understand if you're on set or you don't have your phone but you know it's always oh i didn't see this it's like no no it's 2021 yeah you for sure saw it um (laughs) it was an old joke of yours you would take your phone and slam it down like where does somebody go between one text and the other, and you just Where, slammed your phone. Oh, my God. Did you just throw it in the ocean? Like, I wrote back an emoji. Bye. See you at the Sprint store. It really is a, it's a character flaw. Um, and yes. in terms of being busy, I actually just ordered a shirt. 
I wore it on stage the other night on Etsy that says always bored. You know how like Post Malone has like always tired. I have always bored because it, it, because even though it seems like I'm really busy, I'm like, it's never enough. I really, I like being busy. It's, I find it very soothing and I find lack of activity very hard to deal with. Fair enough. But how do you find that balance between work-life balance? Because you're doing all these things and I'm very curious about your work days and your workflows because as, as impressed and happy I am for you that you're doing all these amazing things, we have not had a dinner in years now, many years. We used to have dinners regularly. We have not had dinner in years. We used to have di- I think I think it's a combination of working more, being married, living a little bit far. Like it's just, you know, you're I was actually talking with a married friend about this. Like your free time is that much more precious. Um, and my schedule is that much more erratic. Um, and you know, when I was single, I was like, let's have late night dinner all night. And now it's like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm gonna do this like early set. Um, and so it's just that. And it's funny, the work life balance thing, I've been asked that a lot recently, and I'm I feel like it's a question, and maybe this is not from you, but like that women get asked a lot, like, how are you balancing it? How are you balancing walking and having breasts and making money? How are you doing that? And I'm just like, I just do. And I thankfully married someone who like totally gets it. No, but that's an Eliza question much more than a woman question because you, you get so much done. Like I literally want to know how your days work because – you say that like, oh, I noodled along on this script when I was bored at airports or between things, and I worked on my yeah. book when I came. Are you really doing that? Are you really like not just vegging out of the airport? Like you're writing a few lines on a script for 20 minutes in an airplane, then you hop to your book that no. night before bed? No, no, no. It's never for 20 minutes. I mean, everybody has their study habits. I need to like carve out a chunk of time. So like if I know I have the evening free, then I could sit and work. Or if I know I have like five hours this afternoon, but I never like boot up the computer and just like write for five minutes. That's just not me. So this is, you know, it's all about the optics, right? Like you see on Instagram, all the things like I don't post campaigns. Someone else edits those, you know, and I don't put like that, like curated content somebody helps me with that like we just did a whole thing for netflix and the comedy store like somebody edited that right but i think when you don't get and and i think you'll understand this as a comic like very early on in your career and for the majority of my career when you don't get the yeses from people you have no option other than to be a self-starter so like the book that like girl logic i came up with the idea and i pitched it the new book i have i wrote it during the pandemic because i was like i want something that i can work on i want to feel productive the cooking show with me and my husband like it's it's on instagram we love it but it was just out of a need to create um and really it comes down to not wanting to ask anyone permission so i just create things and then you put them out there it really is like 90 percent of the battle because i think a lot of comics a lot of entertainers make the mistake of thinking like someone else will do this work for me and it's like Joke's on you. Somebody else already had a full script while you were like sort of hemming and hawing over like pitching it. So always have something because the inevitability is your project will not go. No one's going to say yes, but at least you'll have something else. So that's what it is. And I don't, these are like small things. It's not like I have, you know, we happen to have a hit with this movie, but like, I don't know. I, uh, my, like my sketch show didn't get a second season. It didn't? Oh. No. And, um, you know, it's these are I'm things sorry. that you could build up to show a resume, but in actuality, I'm like, where's that season two? Where's that big hit? Like, where are the big hits? That's what I always look for. Or try. Yeah, to make. I mean, you're you're that level of hungry. I mean, I would say your Netflix specials are those big hits, and this movie seems to be a big hit. 
good on paper. This movie is a big hit. And I honestly, it's one of those things where because I'm like a go-getter, I always hope for the best, but I really do prepare for the worst. I was like, you know, you hope you get good press for this, but I would I would understand if they were like, yeah, you know, we released it in in pages on the back of a bus and we showed a little bit in the back of a cab and a headrest and people really weren't <laughs> into it. Like I was very ready to be like, we dropped it on the platform. It really blew up in Papua New Guinea, but everywhere else, no one's... And this one, this time it finally caught for all the campaigns and all the projects we've done and all the crowd sort of surfing fan base groundswell kind of things we've tried to do. This one caught fire, but this is several years in the making. Do you think it's to some degree because we have reached peak liar in our society and people are very interested in learning about the brain of a liar? I don't know. You know, it's interesting because I wrote this happened, as you know, and I wrote this before Dirty John, and I remember when Dirty John came out, I read about it in the LA Times, and I was like, I was like, oh, that's cool, because I thought it was just me. I don't think we've reached peak liar, and I say that because I think a lot of people still think that this is a freak thing, and what I've realized in releasing this movie, and my DMs can attest to this, is that like this is a ubiquitous thing. This is pervasive. This happens to you or someone you know. And so I think it's a combination of people being intrigued by our rom-com twist or rom-con, maybe maybe liking me, and that we actually made something funny, uh, and the painstaking care I took to make sure the women weren't reduced to, like, stumbling idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much to unpack there, because I just mean peak liar as far as our society. I mean, we've just had a president that just lied with impunity and, like, facts don't exist anymore. That? I don't remember his name, but... But he, he had a, oh, kind of a hue issue in his skin. But we just live in a place where, like, there is no fact, there is no reality. So I think an, a, a movie kind of centering on a great con is maybe more interesting at the moment. Maybe, and maybe that helped with the zeitgeist. I'll take it. Even if people only wanted to see a girl in red because it was a fetish, like, I'll take it. You like whatever hook you need to watch my movie, I'll take that click. That's what I mostly loved about it, and I didn't even notice you're wearing red. So that's a weird – it's a fetish I don't even know about myself, but I also know it. You know what I mean? You know, red induces passion. I don't like – the. I don't wear red, and my director wanted her in red, and I was like, I'll give you like one jacket, one shirt, but I'm not wearing red pants. <laughs> my girlfriend was wearing red pants this morning. It's a, it's a vibe. It's just I'm a very I – like, I like to minimize – the the under area so we do jeans we do black we don't do red pants hide the haunches is that your is that your philosophy hide the haunches just don't make it a thing you get on stage people are staring you're like can we i get it i'm a healthy person now let's move on i was hanging out <laughs> at a party pants. total name drop but with lily tomlin and she liked my shoes that were black but they had a little strip of white in the bottom she's like i could never wear that on stage just the little strip of white would distract people from what i'm saying i'm like well seems a little harsh but okay no, she's absolutely right. I mean, part of it is in your head, but part of it is like that thing where when you're a woman, people are just staring for better or for worse, like analyzing. You also, you don't want a shirt with like too many words on it. The pants are too tight because right. it's just one more little hurdle. Um, but that said, didn't I you also... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, because you used to always, you'd be like, why don't you dress up on stage? Right. And you and I have very different approaches and i believe my comedy is an extension of who i am so i am casual on stage because i am casual in real life i don't wear dresses really but then in for real your life. specials you don't really do that you dress up and then even for tv appearances you dress up a lot more than in life 
Yeah, but it's different because you're special. The audience is there for you on your side. It's not like it was in the clubs where you're like, I hope this is cool. And a special is something that's like canonized. So you want to have looked great. But even in those, like, it's still like I'm never wearing a dress. And it's fine if girls do because that's just if I had an option at an event, I would pick pants over a dress. And if you're like a guest on a panel, you can dress beautifully because you don't have to sing for your supper. So it's like, oh, great. I can step into something that's not as comfortable because I'm not worried about looking like a goblin or whatever I have to do. Right. You get to kind of be the fantasy of Hollywood for the night because you've earned that already. Yeah. Dress it up. Put on some shellac. Slap in some hair. (laughs) So, all right. So good on paper is the story of a boyfriend of yours who you met on an airplane and who just basically lied about everything he told you. I remember the guy. You brought him to my old apartment in Hollywood. And I I feel like my memory tells me that he looked a lot like the guy you guys cast. Is that right? I don't... I mean... The vibe, at least. Like, like definitely, like, the essence and the vibe. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, Ryan Hansen's definitely, like, a handsome person, and he wore... These big fake teeth, which this guy, which the Dennis Kelly in real life didn't have, but we gave him glasses. And I think in real life, Dennis Kelly had like a very unhealthy look. Um, it's just a different, you know, but we tried to dork him up in right. this movie as best we could because Ryan's not ugly. <laughs> so I remember when he was in my apartment and I remember just not liking him very much. I don't think I told you Ooh, that. Tell me more. That's a hard thing oh, to yeah. tell a friend. But I remember I remember very vividly he was standing in my doorway. For a long time, he also, like, didn't come in. It's almost like he didn't – I just had the feeling like like he didn't want to, like, really get to know me or have, like, a full hang experience. Yeah. Almost like he was just there to kind of, like, check a box. And then – because we were going somewhere. We were, like, meeting there and getting out. Were we dating or were we friends? Because he and dating. I were friends – for the year, okay. Because we, we were friends for that full year when most people met him, but we were dating. Because we dated for three months, so it was in that time. Yeah, you were dating because okay. I was especially curious to, like, you know, analyze him and make sure I approved. And right. and I remember he had on a sweater, kind of a sweater type of sweater vest kind of thing. Very preppy. I think a collar out of the top of it. And he just looked like he was We don't fine. even have the words in L.A. We don't even have the lexicon <laughs> for, like, we're like a sweatery thing. Yeah. I don't know. And I remember thinking, like, okay, like, he was polite. Like, there was nothing that I could have said I didn't like, but I just didn't get, like, a warm, like, oh, he's a great dude feeling like, yeah, Eliza found somebody fucking awesome. I was just like, oh, he checked some boxes. Fair enough. I mean, what's crazy about all of this is, like, as, you know, in the press in the last couple of weeks, you know, the friends who have reached out to be like, oh, yeah, like we had drinks with him. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Like, I did not go through this alone. Like my friend we met because we were always going out for drinks, right? Going out to go do something very social. And it was always I'm sorry. And it was always with my friends. It was right. always on my time, which is what made it so easy because who doesn't want it to be like always with your friends on your time, you know? Um but I guess your senses were right. And also, you know, it's that thing where, you know, you meet the guy and you're like, I guess I kind of don't like him. But look, he makes her happy and yeah. should be fine. And maybe it's a bad impression. It wasn't like he did anything egregious. But I think you're dead on. He probably didn't want to come in because, you know, he lives in a mansion and that was an apartment. Or at least that's what he wants you to think. And <laughs> right. he uh, probably didn't want you to dig and get to know him because who knows? Or maybe, you know, what if you're like, oh, my God, I wait, I know you. And then it would all be over. So it was very... I think that's why he was always um, very accommodating, but also the first one to be like, I've got this round of drinks. I'm buying the drinks. Like if he's like, if he could stay ahead of it and always be congenial, 
nobody would dig too deep because he's the guy buying the drinks. But I remember he always wanted to buy drinks for everyone, like even grown men. And I'm like, it's a little, you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where we went that night. Anyway. He might have bought me a drink that night now that I think about it. But so I remember mm-hmm. then when, when the whole charade came undone and I don't remember, I don't think we like really like talked about it in depth. We just texted about it and you were like, this whole thing was a lie and you were very shell shocked. And yeah. Um, how long did it, like how, how, how much of a trauma was this in your life? How much did it then affect your instincts of your, your ability to trust people? Did it, scar you for a long time was hard to get close to people after that for a number of years or what was that what was it yeah i get asked that a lot um i was shell-shocked is a great way to describe it i don't remember much because i think it's like one of those traumatic things that you kind of just like black block out i remember crying to a friend on the phone like hysterical scream crying and then i remember coming home from discovering that his mom had lied that he had lied about his mom having cancer and i fell asleep for like 15 hours like like just like a blunt force trauma like you just your body just goes into that and trying to put those pieces together and there's no real way to reconcile that and wrap your mind around it because you don't ever really get the closure you need which is part of writing the movie was me providing my own conclusions and a fake ending and closure like that giving it to myself but I remember thinking because I'm a pretty mentally healthy person I remember thinking I will not allow this to affect the way that I treat people I just won't like this will not be a lasting effect. I think a lot of times something traumatic happens and we're like, and now I'm like that because of this. Now, look, there are horrible things that happen and they are out of your control. And this has nothing to do with anyone's experience, but my own. And I just decided I'm not going to allow that to affect me. And so with the two guys that I dated subsequently who were lovely, who I knew already, I was just very open about how I was feeling and how I kind of didn't want to be, someone's girlfriend we could hang out we could take it super slow and they were both just cool about it and then you know a couple months go by you're dating someone whatever and then I went through a period of just kind of doing whatever I wanted and in a good way just being selfish and um just working through it but I never wanted to pay it forward I never didn't trust people you know it was just I just decided that was a freak thing and we're going to move on. Yeah, I remember you saying something presence. to that effect. You said something yeah. like, what a crazy psycho asshole. But that's him. That's not me. Like, what do I care? Like, it's just – Yes. He just I, – I wouldn't expect him to fucking lie about everything. All right, so I fell into a mistake. Yes. And you know what? Would do it again because I don't want to go through life questioning basic things right. about people. It wasn't people, you know, they were so harsh when I first told it and had so many mean things to say. And I'm like, he didn't tell me he was the king of space and had like a fleet of rockets. You would have like seen a red flag a... if he did, right? You would have. I would have seen something. If he says he's the king but of space, like, I'd, I'd hope you would maybe be like, are you? Even if he was like, I'm royalty, I'd be like, mm, are you a Nigerian prince? But like, you're <laughs> like, I went to a school that like my friends went to. We know plenty of people who went to Yale. It's not. It's not like I came from like a holler in West Virginia and I've never heard of of Yale. Like it's normal to have gone to Yale. <laughs> so yeah. why would I question that? It's not sure. the world's greatest achievement. I mean, I couldn't get in there, but so these are not things that you would question. Sure. So yeah. when still while we're on the topic of p- dating people, when did you decide you're not going to date athletes anymore? I dated one <laughs> hockey player. And what's funny is people will be like, so is that the guy you're married to? I'm like, we dated when I was like 20, 
Seven? I'm 38. This is a decade ago. Is that long ago? Jesus. Uh, I actually don't even know how, but it was just, and he was a retired hockey player. So that's, I mean, it wasn't a decision as much as just, I didn't, it wasn't a rent. I don't know. I don't, it wasn't a decision. I don't think any woman's like, no more rich athletes. I have such a <laughs> random memory about him that you told me one time we were in my car and you said, he likes my socks. So I wear certain socks for him. And I'm like, what a weird. Thing. I don't remember that. Maybe, maybe it's like cute socks because yeah, it socks. wasn't like a fetish thing. And, and you were like, so oh, I'm maybe doing that like, for him. Maybe it was like like knee high, like athletic socks. I did a lot of that, but it was also like the like mid two thousands, and I think like that was kind of in. He was this hockey player dude, and I always remember he was pretty nice too. But I always just maybe because it was a hockey player and kind of his demeanor, I expected him to get mad at any moment. He never really did, but I expected him to kind of lose his shit. No, he was super sweet and. Uh, like you know he's super sweet very cool about like my friends or whatever and everybody's you know got the i got not i really don't for as much as like i talk about male female relationships i don't really have bad things to say about my exes part of it is like i've been married for three years like who even thinks about that but like i don't really date guys who treat me like shit and if somebody seems like they're gonna be weird we don't go out again i don't put up with it so i've really had nice experiences you know, so it's not as tumultuous as one would hope from a comic. Fair enough. I guess there's not a lot of extra movies coming out then from your past relationships. We'll see if the money comes through. No, there's nothing there. <laughs> be, then, it, then it becomes your weird revenge brand. No, this is just a freak story I told. So, so, with, so in the movie, I don't want to give too much away. Bless you. I don't want to give too much away from the movie. But I have a question that kind of gives away, so I'll try to say it obliquely. I think it's okay. Okay, it is? You know what? Spoiler alert. You can pause the pod. Okay, great. Or just fast forward like a full minute. So, it's, spoiler alert. See it. You made this kind of fantasy yeah. ending where you kidnap him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then... Yeah. Why? Did you actually kidnap him? No, I just... Well, go finish it, and then I'll, I'll say my thing. I was going to say, so that, that was a cool, like, fun fantasy ending, but then I'm curious why then you also fictionalized that he then sued you, and, like, you were put on trial, and you kind of lost... <laughs> after that why yeah okay so yeah so so first of all we didn't i didn't want to have a courtroom scene because we've seen so many and i was nervous that i wouldn't be able to write a good one they're very hard to do because none of us for the most part have like been to a trial (laughs) (laughs) so we really only have like law and order based off of so uh a friend of mine mark wallenstein who's like a prominent judge in hawaii who unfortunately went to my same high school, so I have his number. Oh, I thought um, that was Mark Wahlberg's was, Jewish name before he changed it. Yeah, as if Wahlberg doesn't sound Jewish That's enough. That's a good point. Um, but he was very kind and like let me ask him a bunch of questions. I should have put him in the thank yous. I may have. And so it was this thing, like that scene, I rewrote it a bunch because basically if you really look at that scene – And if you look in when they're in the courtroom, his judge gives the definition of torture and the definition of torture is not what she did. And if you really look at it, they didn't kidnap him. He passed out because he drank too much. This idea that someone got him drunk is insane. You're a grown man. He drank too much, passed out. They just wanted to sit him upright so that he could have like blood flow. They accidentally hurt him when they with the thing that they do to hurt him. I don't want to say it. But it is an accident. He was never tied up. And even she says at the end, like, you could have untied yourself. Like, it was... He was weakly ki- tied up. I, he was weakly tied up. He was just attached to the chair, but, like, his arms weren't tied <laughs> up. And I I wanted a court scene because I didn't want... Even though it's a revenge fantasy, sort of once upon a time in Hollywood, revisionist twist. I didn't want 
her to come out super victorious because nobody wins in this situation. And I definitely didn't want him to come out looking good. So I was like, what's the most realistic thing since you don't have the facts, a restraining order, he gets away, but she gets the thing she wanted. So I didn't want it to be that he taught her a lesson in any way. I wanted it to just be a very as rooted in truth as possible ending. Has he ever reached out to you in life after all that went down? No. After all the fake kidnapping? No. And, um, (laughs) I'll tell you, I'll tell you the one time he reached out. So this all happened. Yeah. And then I found out about the mom not having cancer. And we, I don't think we'd spoken since then. There may have been like an email or two exchanged, but I don't remember. And I went about my life. And this is like a couple months later, I went to a friend's wedding in St. Martin. And there was a nude beach there. And so I'm with like people I've known since I'm like three years old uh, at this wedding. And so I go on the nude beach and like I take a picture with my hands up and my friends like put their hands in front like to shake hands in front of my boobs because I'm not going to put that on the internet and I posted it because you know you're 31 you're single who fucking cares and I got an email from him like reprimanding me this just shows you sort of like the narcissism wow and he was like my friends as if he has any friends which is also probably a lie (laughs) told me that you posted this this felt very pointed I'm so disappointed that you would do this and I unleashed wow I so rarely do women get to like say the thing they want to say. I just unleashed. I was like, how fucking dare you ever reach out to me? You're a fucking liar. The world knows you're disgusted. Like I just let him have it. And he, I don't know if he never wrote back or if I blocked his email because I didn't want the response, but that was years ago. And I wish it was, thank God. I wish it was illegal to do what he did. Like, guess it's not illegal to lie if there's not like proven damages, right? Like, you know, that's the thing. It's not illegal to lie. And it's always that thing I we you know we talk about this in the comedy community. There's so many guys who do horrible things, but they're not illegal. Like unfortunately, being a scumbag isn't illegal. Cheating on your on your girlfriend, on your wife isn't illegal. Telling, you know, like saying horrible things aren't illegal. And so a lot of people live in that gray. Um I debated we were talking about this on the it was on Joe Rogan's podcast and we were I was saying how like crimes of passion are legal like if you can prove that you're normally a good person and this person just incited this rage based on something amorous <laughs> so like you crazy. can get away with murder it's so crazy your honor you don't understand man I for was, sure made that I, I, yeah. I, I, I killed the person but i was very i was very in love oh and the judge is like i got a dick too i understand rage it's cool it's the 1700s we'll let it fly <laughs> what it's the it's, it's the 2000s let's, let's, let's still let it fly We'll leave it. But yeah, it's it's not a... And that's I think that was part of in writing the movie. I was like, I need to have some sort of way that I show that I came through this and I'm okay. And so revenge has is so dirty sounding to me because it's not about... I don't care if this person ever sees the movie, truly. It's really more about making sure you're okay. And as an artist, I just made art to feel yeah, better. Yeah, it's about a movie. You get to have the ending you want this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... uh Happy to never see this person again. Happy to never cross paths. So you said it was very important for you to make sure the women in the movie were not your typical two-dimensional movie women. The relationship between you and Margaret Cho's character was very real and grounded in your real-life best friend. Um, What – but then also I was was interested in the movie, the – your rival character, the actor that you kind of hate. You're, you've been open uh-huh. even some interviews saying that like people aren't allowed to say it that you fucking hate somebody or you see them as the enemy but in fact is the truth is that you do 
uh, see it that way. Do you still see people that way? Do you see other women that way com- in a competitive way? Is that something you want to work on if so? Or you think it's just the na- nature of things? Uh, I think it's the nature of things. I think um, the more success you get, the less you are pit against other people. Now, it never ends. And for women, I do think it's worse. But, you know, Serena Halstead is less about a specific person and more about the embodiment of that pressure and that constant like, oh, you do this. So does that other person. Oh, Ben, you host a show. What do you think about this other host? And it's not that you dislike that person, but sometimes you're just like, oh, my God, like there can be more than one of us. Like, stop comparing. And and I always thought it was so personal, but then I'd read interviews of, like, musicians, and people always bring up other musicians of a similar caliber. You know, everybody has that person. For a lot of people, I may be their Serena Halstead, and it really does, you know, it's cheesy to be like, you are your own biggest competition. But to an extent, it is true because you it takes time to really wrap your mind around, like, you are in control of this. Somebody's not giving you a gig. You can go write your own movie. You can go work on something else. So I made it. I didn't want to make Serena a villain. And I didn't want to make Andrea like win in the end. I wanted Andrea to like come to the conclusion like while you were working on stand up, she was working on acting and you're not owed anything. But I wonder. But it is frustrating. But I wonder if if, if there's something in in more competitive people or more successful people that actually amps that up because like. I, you know, I've I've accomplished a fair amount of things, but when I compare myself to like your, when I look to compare to your number of accomplishments and focus, and I sometimes get real, I, I do a lot of things, but I kind of spread it out and I don't focus all the things right. on my career and on my next step. I'll then do a produce a telethon and I'll do the things that don't advance my career. Right. It, the next thing where you're very focused on your career, but I also I certainly sometimes feel competitive with my male cohorts. But I've never seen a sure. billboard of one of them and been like, fuck you, like you do in the movie. Like, God damn it. I've never s- hated anybody that's making it. I wonder, is that something maybe I need? Is something you need or is that just you're e- extra competitive? I think it. No, I think it's just the way that you operate, you know, and it's I think that's tied to the fact that rather than do X, Y and Z, you'll do that telethon, you know, because that feeds you. And that's not bad. You know, and I do art that feeds me by the grace of God. I have this stand up career and I don't have to audition for a show that I don't think is funny. I don't have to take a gig ever that I don't want. So I only ever do things that I want to do. And I work very hard to be able to do those. But, you know, these are not things that are hitting on a large scale. Um, And the I have to say this, the middle finger thing, you know, Kimmy Gatewood is our director and she was great. And she comes from a very like female forward, like glow. Like she's, she's got all these incredible women in her life and they're also supportive. Kimmy wanted me to flip off the billboard. I would personally never do that. It's just not the way that I demonstrate frustration. It's more of like a rant at like my husband. So she asked me to do it. So I did it. And then I remember I, I was like, I did it for her as like a creative compromise. But and then at the end, she was like, flip it off again at the end. And I was like, I don't want to because it's that's it's just not the way I would express it. Um, but I had Andrea do it in that moment to convey how frustrated she was. And it is frustrating. It's frustrating when you are 
working on your, especially if you ever get compared to someone who you don't have respect for. Mm. Like it would drive you crazy, Ben, if like you were always getting asked about someone who had a podcast that they'd been doing for a year and like only went up at like a local dive bar. You'd be like, I don't respect this. Like, why do you keep, they'd be like, well, your parents are both Israeli. You'd be like, okay, we're not the same. That is the times when it gets annoying when someone's like coming out of nowhere and you're like, why is their name fucking all of a sudden everywhere? I've been working so hard to get my name there. Yeah. Exactly. What you want is to be compared to someone better than you. Right. And when you are compared or asked about someone that you don't respect or you don't really know, you're just like, can I live? Like, can I live? (laughs) Can I just do my shit? But it happens. And uh, I've definitely made peace with it. But Serena Halstead is not. She's Beyonce. I'm just going to say it. Beyonce is my greatest rival. (laughs) And I got that out. And now you all know how I feel. Scoop. We got a big big scoop here. I like that. Big scoop. (laughs) I saved it for you. You and Beyonce are going to be at each other's throats the rest of your lives now. You know what you've unleashed? Oh, Beyonce. The beehive? Yes, right. So, like, you, you, feminism is an interesting topic for you, I feel like, because you are certainly a feminist, I would say, as am I, as anybody that has a, as a, a caring, progressive mindset, but you also aren't afraid to call out other women. You, you aren't afraid to just speak your mind, even when it goes against some of the, progressive norms that you're not supposed to of like not calling people out right so or or not saying anything that goes against a marginalized group which to some degree women are right mm-hmm. what's the question <laughs> i don't really know it's what are your thoughts on that like do you I ever just think, look, pull back do you ever pull punches or do you say i don't care if i anger all women in comedy with this statement i'm gonna stick by my statement or if i i don't know you know you, you don't here's apologize the, here's the truth here Here are the truths. You know, people get so caught up in like, apologize, do not apologize. Everybody acts like they've never made an error in judgment or a mistake or said something wrong or whatever. Apologies are almost worthless most times. What the angry mob does want is for you to burn. That's what it is. And what I've learned is that if you can just hold on for like the 48 hours that they're trying to feast on your brain, they'll get distracted by something else. I believe in issuing a sincere apology when you're like, that is not me. I shouldn't have said it. You know, Um, I also believe that punishments often outweigh crimes. And I think what people want is to see something shiny and someone successful completely be devoured alive. And so, you know, Mr. Saturday Night is one of my favorite stand up movies. And he's like, it's a comics job when you call when he sees bullshit called bullshit. And you are on a different playing field as a woman um, because, you know, you say something and you get held to a different standard. But. I don't speak with any malintent. My objective is never to offend just for the fun of it. It's certainly never to shock. I always try to back up what I say with intelligence. And if something I say rubs someone the wrong way, I highly suggest you just move on. If there's ever something that I really feel I need to atone for and I can do it on like a, like a large scale, I happily will. But most people sort of forget. And uh, a big part of my act now, you know, I was talking with another comic about it last night. It's like, oh, you may not like it, but I dare you to find the lie. Like that may have rubbed you the wrong way. And for every time someone gets offended, which by the way, I'm not in the business of offending people. I really love bringing people together. But by virtue of the fact that you're standing up there and withstanding all the slings and arrows of judgment, um, I always dare you to find the lie. And yeah, like you're mentioning ethnic groups in your bits. You're mentioning, I've seen some of your new bits. You're like not afraid to make some generalizations that may be largely true. I mean, it's not, it's, and by the way, you, you come for everyone. 
It's not like you don't just pick one. You do it across the board. Nobody ever likes it when the thing is about their group, whatever that group is. But my thing is always like, would you have preferred that I put that joke 45 minutes in so we offend everyone else and you come last? Like, Mm -hmm. this is a tacit agreement. And if you want to find a more polarizing comic, I promise you can find one in the halls of any comedy club. This is an agreement between me and the audience. Like, we're working stuff out. We're trying. And I promise you what I'm saying comes from an intelligent place of heart. There's no, why would I ever want to hurt people who spent money to see me? But, you know, you get your fifis hurt once. You want to write me off? Okay. But how would you, how, how do you write? Because like your writing has such a perspective. You know, I once compared you, I tweeted that I think you're the most similar in a lot of ways to George Carlin these days, because you not only have something to say with your act, of course, and you say it with such passion and conviction, but also you're so musical with your performance. You bring such voices and characterizations and act outs in a way that most people don't put that kind of effort into their act. And I think that's thank you, Ben. It's, thank you. It's true. I appreciate that. I think you're so you're so good and you're so confident and you're so confident in your worldview. So I guess how how do you write? How do you do you sit down and just throw away silly jokes that, that that are nothing? Do you try to write from a perspective? Do you have an idea for a rant or something that pisses you off and then try to make it funny? Yeah, I think it's probably more that. Like something will stick in my craw and I'll jot down like a word or two and then I take that on stage and I'll just explore it. I don't physically sit at a computer and write. Like I don't type out things. I don't write right. I, uh, my publicist warned me. He's like, don't say I don't write my jokes. Mm. And then go on to elaborate because they'll, you know, you'll see like an article like female comic admits to not writing. (laughs) I don't physically write them. I speak them, which is why I get up so much so I can work through it. And I think a lot on, I I just ruminate on these things because if you're going to make a salient social point, you want it to be infallible and you want to back it up with enough intelligence and of course comedy that nobody's gonna you know get offended or get upset and so that's how i do it it's a lot of like rants that my poor husband probably has to listen to but it's a lot (laughs) of conversations and thinking about it coming home and just like thinking about it and putting into context the way i see yeah do you record the audio of your sets and play it back and make sure you're not forgetting punchlines that you riffed on on stage god i forget so many i also love the school of two th- two schools of thought. One, it's really horrible to have to listen to your own voice. And two... I disagree. Um, I love my own voice. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's hard. Uh, and two, I think the good punchlines stick. Mm. Like, I think because of the frequency with which I do it, eventually I right, will... Right. It will just become part of it. So just keep running it. Yeah. Okay. We only have but about... I sometimes record it. 15 minutes left. Sometimes you record it. Okay. We have 15 minutes left, and there's a lot more I want to cover. So you just, you just ate your microphone. Okay. Are, are people aware of that? You're, you're, just, you're kind of gnawing on the on the on the phone. I'm not making a noise though, because people no, get violent if they hear people eating noise. Like eating noises on podcasts, but you're you're eating it basically. Just making um, a face. Very impressive. Um, that wasn't even one of the things I wanted to cover, but I'm glad we did cover it. <laughs> um, any regrets in your life? I mean, I I regret ripping off all my fingernails the other day because they were oh, growing boy. so nicely you ripped, ripped them off damn you know no and here's why because to regret it would mean that i had control at the time to have done it differently and i really believe that i've always worked to the highest of my own capabilities and i always felt i was doing what was right you know um and because i don't have a specific goal in this career 
I just went in the direction that I had the most give and the most green lights. That was stand up. Um, that was stand up. You know, I regret other people not saying yes to me, but <laughs> I regret their decisions. That's the greatest quote. Eliza, do you have any regrets? I regret other people not saying yes more. That's my answer. That's hilarious. But it's not something I, I was doing the best I could with what I had. Always will. So always do you, is there anything that you don't like about your life now? You, you're hitting this, this level of acclaim and busyness and stardom and green lights. Is there anything that you don't like? Anything you're like, well, I didn't expect that. You'd like to make a shift to tone away from or are you just loving every part of it? I mean, it's not, I mean, look, this movie is doing so well and it's so it's such a gift and it's so great, but we won't see the fruit that that bears for a little bit because, you know, the whole town's on vacation and we will see. Uh, my objective, and I always say this, is to be able to do my art on bigger and better levels, whether that's a play or creating a show or writing another book. I just want there to be easier to do, to ascend and do what I want to do. Mm. Um, I am shocked that at 38, like, I still, like, like find putting formal clothes on to be a battle like it's like breaking a horse <laughs> getting me in like a blouse and like tucked in pants it's not that i don't like to look nice i just why? i love girls have like up. outfits yeah why i know you do i know you do i like i don't have outfits for that someone's like you're invited to like your cousin's tea party and i was like i don't have you're kind of an old jewish like lady little... inside a young jewish lady's body you just you, you i don't have are. the th- i don't want to i don't have like frilly dresses and it's not that i'm like this i just like I remember I one time things. we were at a party at your house, your your annual Christmas party, and Jeff Ross and I are hanging out in the living room, and you had this like whole hot dress on with heels, and for like maybe an hour, and then you just came downstairs with your heels off, and you're like rubbing your feet, you're like my feet hurt so much, oh my god, I can't, and it was just the topic of conversation for about about seven minutes, and we were both like, what's happening here? You were so glamorous three minutes ago. Why is this happening? Why? Why be uncomfortable in your own home? And then especially once you're married, like we save it. But like I'll have a friend come over. She'll be in like tight jeans and a tucked in shirt. I'm like, who? A belt? No. (laughs) So I don't think I'll ever have that gene. But the idea is you become so successful that that becomes your brand. That you're wearing an oversized 7-Eleven t-shirt. So that'll be soccer shorts. That'll be you. You're going to be reverse Billie Eilish. You're going to get more and more casual and puffy clothing, baggy clothing. I'm Adam Sandler. That's okay. the vibe. All right. That look. Sure. And I'll take the career. Best, yeah. of, best of luck with that. I love it. Thank you um, so much. So, uh, gosh, so many things. Okay. So a couple of questions from our brain trust that people had for you before we will quickly Ooh, talk okay. about the world for a few minutes. Uh, question one. Yeah. Kayla Gibson asks, who haven't you worked with that you'd love to work with? I literally have worked with four people, so I'll take anyone that will get a project greenlit. I love Elizabeth Banks. I made that very clear when I met her. Um, I think Kay Cannon is a great writer. She'd be great to work with. Um, I'm trying to think of like people that like this could happen. Uh, I think Chris Pratt is very funny. I love Channing Tatum. Everybody knows that. I would love to do something else with Mark Wahlberg. Um, the answer is like, who do you got? I'm not in a position to like turn down famous people. So I'll take all of those. Fair enough. Times 10. Fair enough. Yeah. Question from Glenn Beeb. Will you put Ben Glebe in your next project? Uh. Sure. Did you want five minutes at the Whitley uh, on Friday? Because they, I don't. I, I uh, do. You, do you want to? Do you want me to talk about you in my book? It, we're whatever the next acting. thing is. We're talking acting roles. We're talking acting roles. I think is what Glenn is asking. Okay. All right. I'm a very sure. good actor. I don't know if you know this. I'll I'll send you my reel. I'm a very good actor. 
You'd please, that, I would never make you send. I believe you. You don't have to send me the reel. Um, <laughs> let's get a project and we'll find you something. I like that idea. How's that? That's what That's I asked Kevin Smith. I asked him just directly and I was always so nervous to ever ask. And then he started giving me parts in his things. So I, I'll tell you what, I'm on season seven of Bosch this year and it's because you said I you wanted to like, be on it, right? I went on like a 15 yeah. tweet threaded rant about how much I love it. And then Titus Welliver came on my podcast and they gave me a tiny part. That's all I wanted was like a quick shoot and i'm i'm sergeant christine klotz from internal affairs you look like klotz. episode seven that's fun yeah. brad nachman wants to know who are your biggest influences brad i hate that question give me one and i hate you brad <laughs> i don't you know why because the answer i'm supposed to give is like richard Pryor. like i i'm i was born in 1983 it's definitely not that my answer is not stand-up comics. It is characters. So it's the women of SNL in the 90s, like Sherry O'Terry and Anna mm. Gosteyer. And and it's not that I reference them now, but this was super formative. Kids in the Hall was huge. In Living Color, um, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live in those years. And now it's tough because the comics I enjoy watching, I can't watch because then you start to sound like them. I know. I hate so that. It's I watch tough. so little stand-up. Really? I almost never watch anybody do stuff. Most of it's not worth it. So yeah, totally. true, true. Most of it's most of it's pretty bad. Margaret Cho asked me to ask you um, if Tian Fu and Lucia, her little Asian dog, could be friends. I don't think it's an Asian dog. I think her dog is a Chihuahua. She said and, little uh, Asian dog. She said Lucia and Tian Fu are little Asian dogs. Well, far be it from me to argue with an Asian, an Asian queer woman. woman about I'll get canceled. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, Tianfu is very. She's not a social woman, but we'll make her. We'll fix. We'll make it. We'll make it so, Margaret. How do you compare Tianfu to Blanche? What's the differences in your love and and then the dog vibes? Sure, Blanche was basically a human in tiny dog form with brown hair, and Tianfu is very much a dog, not intelligent. However, has no problem being left alone. Uh, Blanche had like a crippling fear, which is why she came everywhere. Blanche was like having a toddler. Like she kind of understood things and was and could like walk on two legs and like build things. And <laughs> Tian Fu is just a sweet baby girl who only wants to be with her parents and really doesn't like anyone else. Cute. <laughs> Not okay. social. Doesn't leave the house. Yep. We've got seven minutes left. Let's quickly tackle the state of the world since this is, this is last week on Earth. Let's fix it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what do you think is the biggest problem in our country and biggest problem in the world? To start off. Like... Define problem like economically. Are we talking in like the ether socially? I think socially. Like, like, what do you think the biggest issue here that we need to f- get back on track on or fix? Okay, I'm just gonna. The environment is the biggest issue because it is the one thing that you cannot reverse, you cannot fix, and um, water is going to become a huge issue soon. Um, the environment, people not caring about it. Well, socially, so quickly, wait, 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 before you go to socially, then quickly on the environment, I totally agree with you. But what do we do? How do we fix it? Be- because like not even to call us specifically, but like I know, for example, something I've noticed. So you're super anti single use plastics and you keep pushing your fans to not use them in an Instagram story. But then sometimes the next Instagram story of yours will be all of these Sour Patch Kids packs that your fans gave you. And that's so much single use plastics. So how do you sure. reconcile these problems? Well, well, that's another that's a great point. And so when we started touring, I said, please be mindful of that. I can't control people. I can only put that out there. Yeah. And I can only say, here's what I'm not for, you know, but I can only control my own actions. So we have solar panels on our house. We don't use single use plastic. We don't use paper towels. We don't eat a lot of meat. 
I drive an old hybrid. That being said, maybe there's someone else who does something else. So a big part of it is not attacking people because you might give me Sour Patch Kid and plastic. By the way, there's plastic everywhere. Like it's a drop. And the fact that I don't use plastic bottles is it almost is nothing. It's futile. Um, But I don't know what that person does. I don't know if they compost or if they're like, I don't know. So it is that thing like that criticism right there of the what aboutism is a huge problem because it paralyzes people from wanting to do anything. Right. And that is not only in the environment that is socially. This is writing off people because you saw them do one mistake. Their whole life doesn't matter. Um, And we also socially we're so radical on the liberal and conservative side in our views that you begin to push people away rather than have a dialogue Um, because people make a lot of money off being polarizing. For sure. But how will that will it ever be able to stop? You think that's the biggest problem is just how polarized we are because people love to we're addicted to the drama. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if that will ever stop. I think it's been really heightened with our last presidency with covid, you know, because having to wear a mask that brings up a lot of personal rights and civil rights issues. And then you have everybody, you know, all of these. Thank God, civil rights infractions like coming uh, infringements coming to life like BLM or anti-Asian stuff or anti-Semitism, you know, and people care and then they kind of go back to their lives. So the question is, how do we make it a constant that we are more mindful and more accepting. And I think we're getting there. Like we're at a different place socially than we were even a year ago in the way we think about things. And I guess the push is to always try to progress toward being more open-minded without losing our fucking minds. (laughs) If you were president... And pay teachers more. Pay teachers more, 100%. I've always said flip the salaries of teachers in Congress and you would fix two major problems at once. It's a great idea. So if you were president, what would you do? What What would some of your big tackles be? Other than environmental stuff, I agree. We have to take that much more seriously. What would you do to, to fix our problems, to bring people together? I don't know. How many nukes do I get? All of them. 5,000 nukes. What kind of resources do I have? <laughs> I don't know. It's not something that I've really thought about. I definitely would uh, implement some sort of health care where it's not mandatory that you pay into universal health care, but it should. We should be taking care of people. We should be doing more preventative Um healthcare and maybe incentivize people to be more preventative um women's health care should definitely be something this is over half the people and it's a little bit of a joke um i would legalize prostitution i it's a whole bit that i have so i'll spare you um and i would definitely find a way to take some power away from our gun lobbyists because it's been proven that because every time you try to argue something like that it's like well the guy who shot up that mall he did have a background check and so I would start to implement things to just tr- try to f- mental. Maybe it's mental health funding. I don't know. And I'm going to probably get canceled for even saying any of that. But I think there's got to be a way to persuade people without having them dig their heels in more conversations, less absolutism. I agree with that. It's a hell of a platform. You just unlaunched from the top of your head. I think this might be a 2024 run. I'm, I don't know. I still need that 10 hours of sleep. And there's a lot of presidents can do that online. now. And and, and yeah, apparently first ladies can have nude pictures. I feel like you're okay. You know, I'm not positive how Congress works, and I think that might come up <laughs> in a debate. <laughs> Do you regret having posted certain sexy pictures? Because you've posted some some very racy ones over the years, like practically fully nude, like no. at, the, at the sink in I the don't bathroom. Po- I, don't, 
No, what I regret is our nation's puritanical grip on female sexuality that forces women to have to shroud their innate sexuality with a post or a caption. If we regulated women's bodies less and made it less of a fucking big deal if a woman's proud of her body, we would be a healthier society. But men don't post pictures like that. Why do you think that? It's just because yes, they do. Mm. Yes, they do. They do. I trust me. I look. Uh, but not you know whether it's a trend. What? I don't think I don't think men who aren't j- just known for that. Maybe male models do, but typically a male stand-up comedian is not going to ever post a naked picture of himself in the bathroom because covering. they're fucking gross. And nobody <laughs> wants to see that. So that's what I'm I asking. work out. I'm well. I work out. I'm proud of my body. Um, and also, especially when you're single, you know, this is a calling card, and you're like, oh, I hope somebody cute. True. You know, I attract someone. I don't really do that now that I'm married because I'm just in a different space. But I def- I never begrudge women doing it because, you know, social media is all about attention. Whether you want to agree with that or not, it's just the truth. And, you know, a woman might use her body for attention because this is the way we've been taught to commodify these things. Just as you see a guy uh, next to his private jet or with a stack of sure, money sure. or working out. So everybody boasts within the ways that society societal constructs have said it's okay to do. But do you um, think that's we vil- do you sorry to cut you off, but do you think that's just because it was commodified by society? Or do you think there also is there's a certain extra attractive things women have that men don't have? Like I I think women just as you said, men are gross and women have attractive bodies that should of course they should be able to d- you employ them as much as the, as or little as they like, but it's okay Here's to say that women are different than men in that way. Like I have a bit I've been trying to develop for years that like separate but equal is horrible for race, but it's fine for for, for men and women. It's fine for genders. We can right, do that's what I'm saying things. is that everybody has their things that are valued, right? Like a unfortunately, a woman's brain is never. Uh, at first, as valued as much as her looks. Now, that speaks to the fact that men and women are wired differently. So I talk about this on stage. Men are visual and women are cerebral. Men are visual. So to attract a man, I'm going to want to attract him visually and then I can go in for the kill with how funny I am. But women (laughs) are cerebral. So that is why in my movie, I end up with someone who's not attractive because he was smart and kind and funny. And women can be attracted to those things. So, you know, even discussing the fact that a woman might trade on something that she's been taught to value and then we get vilified for it right. really shows that double standard and how impossible it is for women. Um, when, we, when you look at it, when, even when women vilify other women, all it comes down to is a fear of not being able to fertilize your own eggs. Mm. That's what it really, that's what it all comes down to. Um, there's no reason to dislike a woman for posting a sexy picture. That's why this big... Because it has nothing to do with you. True. That's why this big move of, of body positivity in recent years is so amazing. It's just basically let people, or even sex positive with the current Bachelorette, like it, embracing anybody that embraces any part of themselves in that way. And, and I guess my question to you, my last question to you is, do you think then the Kardashians have been a net huge positive for our society? I kind of think they have been. You know, it's, you know, we've all made Kardashian jokes. I did in one of my first specials because that's what we were doing at the time. People also forget that, like, there's a societal temperature at a time. And now it's like, how could you have made fun of Britney? It's like people were doing it. I don't fucking know. There's also something to be said for the way you present yourself. You know, the Kardashians, they've I promise they've reaped their reward. Like they're okay, and they have their own misfortunes and mental things they have to deal with. But if we're just talking about body positivity, I will say this. The body that is in right now is white women emulating an african-american body type right um larger thighs a larger butt and this is the the kardashians emulate it with surgery 
Uh, Kim Kardashian is a curvier girl. And so it is unattainable and insane to try to look like something you're not. You know, you get, I had like a nose job at 18. Like people get little things, but that level of it, the God's honest truth is if you want to do it and it makes you happy, it probably won't. But if it does fucking do it, what I'm grateful for as a girl that has thighs and has breasts and a butt, they've made that body type acceptable. Right. All of it. I can buy jeans that fit. I can see underwear where it isn't this rail thin thing. So things always trickle down. And what we're getting from it is, is black women don't have to be as maligned as they've always been uh, with their hair and their bodies and their culture, even if white people are stealing from it. Latino women, it can you can, quote unquote, let it all hang out because it's more acceptable. Uh, and and that goes for white girls, too, that have bodies like you can feel you don't have to feel so bad that you're not rail thin size zero because there are brands out there now that say like, Hey, it's okay. If you don't look like Kate Moss, like you can still wear our shit. Yeah. And I think that that's a good thing. I think women feeling good about their bodies is never a bad thing. So one actual last question, because I don't want to end on asking you about the Kardashians. You said that probably won't make you happy, but try if you want. So what, what in your estimation, in your life experience, what's the key to happiness? You know what? I actually, don't know, but I remember asking my mom like the meaning of life or something. And I think she's, I wasn't really listening, but I, I think love she your said mom. something. Your mom is such a character. She's great. I think it was the thing about like making other people's lives better is like something that's very enriching. Now, stand up comedy is an incredibly selfish endeavor, as is all art, because you are doing it for yourself in order to reach people. But makes but people so much The older happier. I get, for sure. I mean, if it's good, there's a lot of bad comedy that makes people sad. Yep. The older I get, the more I, f- I enjoy like getting presents for people, helping people with opportunities, lifting up people I genuinely believe in. And uh, to be able to get to a place where you can be in a position to help someone, especially when no one ever gave you help, um, I find that extremely satisfying and gratifying and fulfilling. So I think it's making, I think it's leaving the world a little bit better, even if it's just your corner of the world, a little bit better than you found it. And even if you have to have a focus that pisses some people off along the way if you're going towards this greater good. I guess. I mean, then you sound like a cult leader, like I'm doing this for the greater good. I mean, I don't think about it that way. I also don't think I'm really, I really think if I piss people off, like you were not going to like me from the get go. I don't really say that many polarizing things. I'm not like on the news. It's not like a political, you know, like I kind of just do my thing. I, I often find that when people have like vitriol toward me, I represent something to them that they have an issue with. It's seldom me. Um, and that's another part of just existing happily is being like, that's on you. You don't like me. That is on you. I did not set out to hurt you, but I will. No, I didn't. <laughs> well, people have now heard you for a little bit over an hour, and I would assume they like you a lot more. They fucking better. They I fucking better. Hard. We will make them. We will make. We'll find better? them. We'll find you. That's good. We'll find you. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for doing it. Your first time back in about 10 years. I like to, I, I like to leave a 10-year gap. we wanting more. Come <laughs> yeah. back. Show the evolution. Talk about yeah. a cliffhanger. I really like that. <laughs> it was our Valentine's Day episode in like 2011. I'm pretty sure it was the last time you were on. I can't believe 2011 was 10 years ago. That's the so weirder weird. part. So flipping weird. Um, I know you have to go. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. I miss you. I'm glad we got to hang out even virtually. You're the best. I love you. I I miss you. you. I have to go because we trapped a skunk in my backyard and the trapper is here. So that's why it's horrible. The whole house smells. 
he will be humanely a, removed. I hope that's a cage that doesn't let smells out, obviously. That would be the whole kind of point, right? Oh, there's smells everywhere. He got very angry earlier this morning and butt sprayed, like, everywhere. So I'm living in my own personal olfactory hell right now. <laughs> that's I'm what's so, happening. I'm so sorry to hear that. Despite the odors emanating into your house, you made the time. Thank you so much. I love you. I'll see you soon. Bye, Ben. Love you. Bye. Okay, I'm going to have Emily trench with us. Okay, Sounds good. Thank you. Well, there you have it. That was the conversation with my dear friend Eliza. I hope you loved it. I really did. Um, please tweet at me. Let me know what you thought. Tag her at Eliza on Twitter. Let us both know what you thought. Um, but I really enjoyed it and I hope you did too. And now that we've been you know, going on for quite some time with this episode, I'm going to end it with a very quick one story round of the thunder round because you can't hear lightning. A Danish radio journalist interviewed a man while having sex with him at a swingers club. The New Zealand Herald reported a young Danish radio journalist, it was luckily for her or unluckily for us, it was not televised, has sparked moral panic after she recorded an interview while having sex at a swingers club and it was broadcast on the air. Louise Fisher, someone I'll be looking up on the internet and the pictures I've seen just in the story. She's, she, she's, a, she, she's a looker too. Why did I have a mini, mini stroke? And I'm still having mini stroke during it. Maybe it's been too long for me. Good Lord. But... She could be heard moaning as she interviewed the man as they had sex. She was covering the reopening of the Swingers Club after Denmark loosened its COVID-19 restrictions. It was not planned, she says, so that interview took quite a turn. And uh, it has been shared widely on social media. Her efforts have received mixed reviews. She said most of them were very positive that I was brave and cool. Others think I crossed a line in journalism, but I don't have a boyfriend, which made it a lot easier. My mother just thinks it's funny and my and laughs. My father thought it was really cool. Okay, I'm not sure your father should think it's cool per se, but uh, good for you. Um, she said she enjoyed it. Quote, even though it wasn't the best sex of my life. Well, yeah, I mean, you're interviewing the person during. Do you usually talk that much during sex? Because if you do, and that's what you you enjoy, tone it back. Dirty talking's good during sex. Just yapping and a lot of deep probing questions is not necessary. Probing's fine, not with your words. Do you understand? I mean, unless again, I mean, I don't want to. You do you, but still, I'm just saying. I think I've already said too much to be honest with you. I just want to know. Why these are never the podcasts I'm asked to do. Why have I never been asked to be interviewed by this woman? I'm available for an interview. Will my girlfriend shut it down? Yes, she will. But a boy can dream, can he? Thank you for being with me, Brain Trust. I'll see you again soon. Thank you for making the time. And until last week, next week, this has been Last Week on Earth. Last Week on Earth. Last Week on Earth.